श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए और भक्त बिंद की जाए ओ प्रेम आनंदी हो गुड इवनिंग नाइस टू बी विद यू नाइस टू सिट हियर विद एवरीवन इट अपीयर्स दैट वी हैव समवट ऑफ अ मिक्स्ड क्राउड इन दैट सम पीपल आई हैव नोन फॉर लॉन्ग टाइम long time and um they've known me much to their misfortune for a long time as well and uh so at any rate they're more familiar with the with the kind of topics that uh I tend to be preoccupied with and then at the same time there are persons I have met before and probably haven't been to a gathering like this or not as often let us say so that I assume mixed audience in that sense to ends of the spectrum of familiarity with the the topics um the uh, invitation here by our gracious host suggested a very broad uh topic something about vedic knowledge that's a pretty broad topic um <clears throat> so at any rate i want to speak uh, about the higher end of um that type of wisdom but in the lowest possible way that it might be more readily uh understood and appreciated by those who have less familiarity and i'd also like to speak about this kind of uh, ancient wisdom as it's thought of um in in a contemporary way in relation to the thought currents of our of our present time and so forth and um that that's an important useful exercise and i think it helps us to understand even some of us who have been involved in this culture for some time some of the terms and ideas and concepts that um we've committed to memory but uh they haven't they haven't changed our lives uh very well because our understanding of them is of them is somewhat uh superficial mm. and fair enough that's a we're talking about the ultimate journey here uh in which the journey is as they say the destination itself so it's confusing to begin with and uh godi vaishnavism is particularly confusing <laughs> it uh, tends to turn the only not only the religious but the spiritual world kind of on its head with its um ideas its uh, its ideas of, of of unity and diversity um at once which is a logical contradiction um that is thought to be resolved by the inconceivable power or shakti of the of the godhead we might call it um transrational dualistic monism something like that um sounds confusing <laughs> it is but uh, it's also meant to bring us to the end of confusion and to conclusive truth in a sense that uh, a kind of truth that will satisfy us and so we'll 
cause us not to look elsewhere. Hmm? That we would say is perfect knowledge, the knowledge by which we can become perfectly happy. Hmm? And uh, of course, if we if we set out in pursuit of perfect knowledge, we'll have to have a perfect method. Otherwise, how we will be successful. And uh, in short, I believe that the perfect method is, is more or less the, the folded hands, that uh, a method that, as I say, is a transrational method, a method that, that takes us beyond the limits of, of, of reasoning, which if the ultimate truth fell within would certainly be unfortunate and make for a very static ultimate reality as some people would like to uh, think of it unfortunately Uh, or they would like to say they believe in that but they don't live their lives like that those who try to confine and um, explain the nature of being um, with the limits of reason alone is that better? Okay. So long as you can hear. I can hear myself. <laughs> so, um, so a perfect method is required, and, and I, I would like to suggest that that is a, a transrational method, a method that picks up, it's not unreasonable, but when it picks up where reasoning leaves off. And um, one in which... Uh, we begin with the idea that the reality is greater than ourselves. We're we're part of that, and as much as we are alive, it is as well and has the capacity to reveal itself, should it so desire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what will make a person want to do that? to reveal everything about themselves. It's said that if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. A phrase coined by a fellow named Grover Cleveland. You might have heard of him, famous person. If you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. And I like to cite people like this also uh, from time to time, as much as possible, to try to bring out the fact that what we're talking about is not something that's just uh, stuck in an old book. Um, The very book, in fact... The Gaudiya Vaishnavism is so much uh, centered on is considered to be a, a, a non-book book, if you will. Atmaramas chamunayo nigranta api urukrame. It is said about the great Sukadev, who's a center, um, per, center, central figure in the, in the great Bhagwat. The Bhagwat, of course, is a, arguably the sequel to the famous Bhagavad Gita. Hmm? Bhagavad Gita gives some buddhi, some wisdom by which we can learn to soften our hearts and love. And the Bhagwat, its sequel is all about that love and the possibilities of uh, that lie within what we might call wise love. <clears throat> so central in that book, of course, it's a, it's a death uh, narrative. Uh, it's about death. And... The great emperor was cursed to die. He went to the bank of the Ganges and uh, wanted to know what one should do to deal with the death problem, which, of course, we're confronted with with every breath. Um, And the sage Sukadeva appeared naked on the scene and was 
recognized as such by someone who had no bias, no attachments. Hmm? Thus the, the, the nakedness, if you will. Hmm? Um, and he was given the dais and asked to speak and and uh, so he spoke about how to solve the death problem. That is a, I'm citing this because, as I said, we're talking about something that transcends um, books. This is a problem everybody's dealing with, uh, death to one extent or another, how to solve it, uh, whether we are consciously involved with that or unconsciously, one or the other. We are trying to protect and maintain a sense of being that we are presently identified with. Hmm? And um, so the, the text offers a solution to that uh, problem, the threat, as it appears, that we are under of potential non-existence at some point. Uh, and so the truth, I want to say, that it's speaking about, they, they, are, they are not uh, just something limited to a book there. This is kind of... Uh, universal wisdom, uh, things that all of us already accept, but perhaps we don't play out the implications of those thoughts, just like we all accept on some level that it's unbecoming to be selfish. Hmm? Even though we're all selfish on on some level, even the most selfish people, thieves, they say, sometimes insist that the loot must be divided honestly. So, something like this, we, <laughs> we, uh, to, to, to play out the implications of these types of uh, ideas that are just uh, common, uncommon really, knowledge, but common to everyone, that we don't uh, think about the implications of and so forth. And take this one, for example, that selfishness is unbecoming, becoming, giving is the getting idea, uh, to give is to receive, something like that. Where does this go, ultimately? This is what the Bhagavad speaks about. Where you end up if you, if you really pursue something that you already believe in, hmm? you already acknowledge and accept, but you don't operate in terms of, you don't function in relation to it. You say yes, but, something like that. Hmm? Um, we are... There's an old song, We Are Only What We Feel, you might remember. I think it was like from the Buffalo Springfield or something like that. Uh, We are, so, yes, but we are only what we feel. And we may think high thoughts, but how we feel determines how we act and says something about what we are uh, at present and so forth. And and really, if we we look carefully, how much we need to change hmm, in our own self-interest. So, important uh, and uh, common sense uh, truths is our interest, not some old uh, ancient uh, wisdom that uh, is questionable as to its relevance in in the world today. And um, so with that uh, said, I, I'm often asked the question, uh, what is the meaning of Leela. And some of you have heard the term and are familiar with it. Some of you may be named Leela or Leela something. <laughs> so uh, um, it's a good question. 
and it, it, it deals with a topic that's very central to the Vedic wisdom, very the heartbeat of it, really. Hmm? And um, and so I literally, I, I suppose you could say that Leela means uh, it means a diversion, uh, amusement, sport, play. Um, but in the context uh, that we invoke the term, it refers to divine play, divine amusement or pastime, diversion, pastime, um, how to pass your time. Um, so that's a good explanation, divine play. But then the question comes, what is divine and what is play and how does the divine play <laughs> How does that what, what, how does that work out, work out? How does that play out? And so, good question. Uh, what is what is divine? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of uh, that's been written about that. A lot of thoughts about that, obviously. But I think, in a very uh, basic sense, it's 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 accepted by thoughtful people in the world today, both secular and religious and uh, and spiritual. And I do make a distinction between the religious and the spiritual orientation to life. And then there's, of course, the non-theistic and non-spiritual orientation to life. But uh, across the board, I think uh, thoughtful people in all such sections would, um, would agree with a basic definition of divinity. Let us say, let's use another term, uh, supernatural, which implies that there's something that's natural, and the antithesis of that antithesis of that would be a, a supernatural, or maybe not the antithesis, but different than the natural, above the natural. Hmm? And natural, the natural world means the objective world of of things um, composed of matter, if you will, that um, we examine and uh, manipulate and hoard, acquire uh, shapes and forms of and so forth for our purposes. Indeed, we're, we're suited in a suit of matter, um, and it seems to matter a lot to us. Um, and so something that is divine then would be different from the natural world. It would be I don't want to say unnatural, but supernatural. The natural world, the way I'm speaking about it, is the world that for centuries now human beings have examined uh, as closely as they can and continue to do so by way of microscopes and telescopes, for example, to go short distances and look deep within and and go long distances and see how far it extends and try to understand its origins and so on and so forth. And and a lot of people who have been preoccupied with this, let's say in the scientific community, who very much influence our thinking, um, whether we've thought that out or not, um, the way we conduct ourselves and so forth, they've, they've come to the conclusion that that there are certain forces that 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 governs the natural world, and they've understood them. They're basically gravitational force, um, electromagnetic force, 
and I think it might be strong and weak nuclear forces. That's it. Hmm? Makes the world go round, these forces. And, um, and so what, what I mean to say is that they've really tried to understand the natural world, and they, they, they aren't finding... Uh, they're, fi- they're not finding the supernatural there. In fact, the supernatural is largely being relegated to the superstitious as a result of this because people thought things happened in this way. If you were bad, there was an earthquake. Hmm? It might be. But they say, well, there are other reasons that there are earthquakes and, and uh, the rocks move under the ground like this and so forth, and we answer the problem the quandary, why there are earthquakes. Really not why, but how there are earthquakes. How there are earthquakes. And uh, a lot of people have looked at the natural world and found it fascinating and, and, and think that all the answers to all the questions in life lie in the natural world. And the questions are all how questions. There is no why question. Because there's nothing other than the natural world. What I mean by that is there's nothing other than matter. Hmm? And matter, you see, doesn't matter. It doesn't do that. You know, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't, it doesn't have qualitative experiences. It doesn't, doesn't, it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't posit value. Hmm? Um, Sometimes the world is thought to be just atoms, for example, uh, bouncing up against one another, and inside the atom there are other things that interact and so forth, kind of like billiard balls on a pool table. Hmm? And that's what the world is, what's going on. Hmm? And we would not expect, if we were playing pool, to hit the eight ball with a cue at any point and expect expect the eight ball to say, ouch. Or, could you put me in a different hole for once? or Something like that. Or could you put a little chalk on that thing? Something like that. I mean, it's ridiculous. We laugh about it. We don't expect experience, is what I'm saying, to come out of a a pool ball. Hmm? Nobody will expect that to happen. Hmm? The pool ball is made of nothing other than the same thing that atoms are made out of. In fact, it's made out of atoms. Hmm? Do you follow me? Hmm? So we shouldn't expect that atoms, however they bump up against one another or uh, into one another, that, that at some point they should say, ouch, and have a feeling. Hmm? And, um, and say the kind of things we say. Like, could you do it differently? It's hot in here, it's cold in here. I think... I think it's like this, I feel it's like that. We, we are actually the ones, whatever we are here, that give value to matter. In other words, matter doesn't matter unless we matter about it. Then it has matter, then it has meaning. Hmm? Matter doesn't do that to itself. So the reason that matter, it's matter that's doing that is, is not... in. In, uh, in my humble opinion and uh, in the opinion of spiritual thinkers, a very well thought out um, argument. It's not supportable by empirical evidence. It may be a reasonable conjecture to a point, 
based on empirical evidence, but it's not a conjecture that anyone can live their lives by. Hmm? We live as if things matter. If we philosophize that there's nothing, there's, there's only matter, and nothing matters, therefore, which is where you end up. Hmm? There are no, there's no purpose in meaning to life, you understand, if, if um, atoms are just bumping up to one, against one. There's no meaning, that's just happening. And we make up meaning, it's made up meaning. There's no real meaning, there's no overarching meaning to life, would be the natural conclusion. Hmm? So if you believe that, and of course you can only believe it or not believe it, you can't prove it, you can only believe it, and you may marshal some evidence which you think is, is good that gives you good reason to believe that, that there's only matter, there's only the natural world, there's only really the objective world. Subjective feelings and what that we have are just somehow matter has rubbed itself together and, and the pool ball is saying, ouch, basically. And we're, we're like that pool ball that's suddenly saying, we don't know why exactly, but we'll figure it out. It's just neurons firing in the brain, and one day we'll find a neuron that causes, causes that uh, experience. Hmm? But again, really, we, we really believe that matter is non-experiencing, and we act like that. We act like things have value. We may believe, some people may believe, that, that there's no real meaning in life, but nobody lives their life as if there's no meaning. Hmm? They live very seriously like there's meaning, and I have to prove to you that there's, that there's no meaning. Hmm? And there are people that write books like that, and they're very purpose-driven, if you will, to convince us that there's, there's got to get it straight, there's no meaning <laughs> to life. Then we can have a meaningful life, is, is, is the idea. Um, we, uh, uh, so, uh, from the spiritual sector, we find this a very unreasonable proposal. We find that there's a huge subjective component to life that uh, posits meaning, gives meaning to matter, just like the driver gives meaning to the car, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, um, and and this, so there's an objective and a subjective side to life. And we feel that we are of the nature of the subjective side, the value side, Hmm? that which gives value and gives meaning hmm? to matter. Do you understand? We experience it, and then we give it a meaning. Whether we give it the right one or not, that's another thing. But we are experiencers, and we, consciousness, being of consciousness, give value and meaning uh, to matter. Matter, again, wouldn't matter. If matter mattered independently of consciousness, who would know about it? Who would care about it? If consciousness is the knower, the carer, the feeler, hmm? and so we are of the nature of consciousness. Now, if that's true, and we we can't objectively prove that because it's a subjective experience, but there is some objective result that we can examine hmm? in the lives of people who have believed that and lived that, hmm? who didn't say, yes, I know, but they said, yes, I know, and so I go in that way. Hmm? And these big people who stand like on the shore of human life, which is like, uh, you know, the cusp between animality and spirituality. In human life, we have the chance to 
to do things voluntarily. We're not just under the demands of our senses to eat, to sleep, to mate, to answer the how questions. We, have, we are a question. Human life is a question. Why? The matter people, <laughs> they think there is no why question. There's only how questions. How the earthquake happened, not why. There's no hidden why behind it all. There's no why. But why is what we are. We are a big why. Why am I? Hmm? What am I is the same thing. Why do I exist? Why am I suffering when I don't want to? Hmm? Why? This is a quality kind of question. This question, you see, this cannot be answered by by the natural world. Why? (laughs) Why can't the why question be answered by the natural world? Because the natural world is not asking it. Do you understand me? Hmm? What is asking, how can I eat? It's a question we all ask, like, when's dinner? When's lunch? When is breakfast? It's a question not asked that much in an affluent society like ours, but still it's one we're fairly preoccupied with. Hmm? Because we don't eat, we won't live, so it's thought. Hmm? So when do we, or how how can I eat? We're all basically living for how can I eat, biologically speaking. How can I eat? That's why we work. Hmm? The bottom line is you have to eat to live. So how, how will I do that? That is a question that nature can answer. Oh, I have the answer to that. Therefore, every species of life has this built-in intuitive sense of what they should eat. How can I protect myself? Every species has some defense system. Hmm? Whether it be a moo or an antler or a skunk's uh, scent, uh, you know, or the tiger's roar and uh, devouring mouth and so forth, to a limit, to a point, Every species has, knows how to protect themselves. And nature has answered the question, how? How to sleep. Most species of life know how to mate. We're the ones that are confused about that. Hmm? But that's a how question. How to mate, how to eat, how to sleep, how to defend yourself. Hmm? But in human life, this other question comes. It's why? Oh, God. Do I have to think about that? That's such a problem. Hmm? Uh, but it's what really distinguishes us from the less complex forms of life. And it's a question that nature can't answer because nature doesn't have values and purpose unto herself. The natural world doesn't have a purpose unto itself. We give the purpose and the meaning to it. Hmm? So that question has to be answered somewhere else. And who's asking that question? Hmm? We are asking the question in human life because although consciousness, that we, which is what we are constituted of, a subjective reality, hmm, is not dependent upon matter. It's independent of matter. Hmm. Matter nonetheless shapes it to some extent in this world. What I mean by that is the nature of the material configuration the consciousness finds itself in, like our body and our psychology and so forth, that determines, that shape determines how much consciousness will express itself. Just like 
Some people drove here in a fast car, and some people drove here in a more economical car, a slower one. Hmm? They're both cars. They both have gas pedals. You step on the pedal and take it all the way to the floor, but one is going to go faster than the other because it's, it's, it's shaped in such a way that it will facilitate greater speed. So different forms of life are shaped in such a way that they shape the extent to which consciousness expresses itself and, and it's apparent that consciousness is there. And human life is, that, is a fast vehicle. Hmm? It's a fast car. Hmm? In other words, in human life, consciousness is coming to the fore and it's asking, why? Hmm? What is the meaning of life? Why do I exist? And when this, when this, you know, this existential crisis, you know, uh, comes in around, you know, 16 or 17, it starts something like that. Maybe earlier these days. We have to wait for that before you get a teachable moment, and, and hmm, offer some insight. Hmm. But uh, this crisis, if you will, existential crisis, is the beginning to the answer to all the questions of life. Why do I exist? Hmm? So, the natural world can't answer that. She says, go over here. Hmm? Consciousness has to answer a question that consciousness asks. Hmm? This is the idea I said earlier, if you want perfect knowledge, you have to have a perfect method. This We fold our hands like this. We think that revelation, Revelation sounds to me like a whole, like a Bible word or something that we might not find very interesting. But the idea is again, more philosophically speaking, is the ultimate reality, the the the, the source, let us say, can reveal itself to the part if it desires to, hmm? and then it that part can know in a way that it could not otherwise. That's perfect knowing. Do you understand? If perfection seeks. To reveal itself to the imperfect, then the imperfect can become perfect in terms of knowing. Otherwise, how will it be possible? Not by imperfect means will we arrive at perfection, but by perfect means. So this is the principle behind revelation, which causes us to think we should fold our hands. We should look at the world and try to move like a lover, that it may choose to reveal its secrets. And one of the secrets of the natural world is... That, that the natural world kind of wakes up to the fact that it has a soul. That's what we call human life. We're part of the natural world, and in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. And, but we're more than the natural world, too. So nature realizes I have a soul. That's what, that's what human time is. And it's exciting. Well, I, there's meaning, there's value, what, what to do about that, and so forth. So we're, we're pushed by nature in the direction of, of our consciousness source where we may find out more. That is called revelation. It comes in the form of sadhus, and sacred texts, and so on and so forth, to sit with, with such people and discuss these kind of topics. This is, a, this is arguably a way of knowing, that arriving at knowing that we could not otherwise. And knowing what? knowing why I am, why the world is the way it is, and so on and so forth. Hmm? What the purpose, what the meaning is. So, we're, asked, we're asking, what is, di- what is Leela? We say it's divine play. And we say, well, what is divine? So divine is, if there's anything that's divine, 
that's closest to our experience in this world, it's us. In other words, if there's anything that's supernatural, if the supernatural is divine, what's supernatural? Well, we're supernatural because we're not part of the natural world. We're not just atoms and molecules that never have experience. We have experience, and we experience things that don't have experience, and we posit meaning and value and give it a label and a name and make some meaning out of it. Unfortunately, uh, well, we'll go on to that, but so in a basic sense, we're divine. What I'm saying here is that what we are constituted of is not something that can be reduced to matter. Hmm? So we're supernatural. That's great news. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, don't, we shouldn't think that experience will come out of non-experience. If pool balls have no experience, and atoms have no experience, and the things that make up a brain hmm, have no experience, we shouldn't expect that experience will come out of it at some point. How can experience come out of a non-experiencing reality, phenomenon? Hmm. No, they're different. So if we, if we were to ask ourselves, what is the most profound experience that we have in this world? You've all had experiences, right? So what is the most profound experience? In a general sense, we could say the most profound experience that we have is that we experience. Wow, that's very different than the natural world. We we are experiencing entities. Hmm? We're alive, in other words. (laughs) So so there we are. We're, We're divine. The problem, though is that we're not playing. We said (laughs) Leela was divine play. It seems like we're working more than playing. So, uh, some problem. (laughs) We have to resolve the problem here. So, yes, and we are working. Uh, In fact, we're working a lot more than than playing, and we feel like if we don't work, we won't be able to play at all. We have to get busy and work and struggle to exist. Jiva Jiva Jivanam is a beautiful segment of Bhagavatam. Hmm? Beautiful segment of the Bhagavatam. Rasudha Goswami speaks about how to live a sustainable life. Hmm? Hmm. Are there no torn clothes rejected by others on the, on the roadside that you could put to, to clothe yourself? Are there no longer any rivers to bathe in? Do trees no longer give fruits? Are there no longer any caves that give shelter from the elements? These kind of things. He goes on like this. It's very compelling, very powerful. Hmm? In the context of speaking about that, which means to speak about the, the, the extent to which we are in reality independent of matter, independent of the natural world. Hmm? That's what yoga is about. Yoga is about, spiritual life is about putting to the test the idea that I, you and I as entities are independent of the natural world. People are going to go, okay, Swami, you're going to stop dying (laughs) now? Uh, Yes, in fact, uh, I never started. It would be the idea. It's, of course, a philosophical argument. Hmm? And the, the idea, of course, being is that 
I'm working rather than playing because although I'm divine, hmm, I've identified with the natural world rather than with myself. And so I've got an identity based on that identification with the natural world that needs to be preserved because it's here today, like all things in the natural world, and it will be gone tomorrow. Hmm? And the value that I place on the world, we said consciousness gives value and meaning to matter, is often the wrong meaning because the value I'm giving and the meaning I'm giving is a value and a meaning based on my own identification with matter, my attachment to matter, my thinking that I'm dependent upon matter to some extent or another in terms of how maybe not I think in my deepest moments but how I act in my almost every moment. Hmm? And so because I'm mixed up, so to speak, with that, with a, with a sense of I that's not divine, where does it come from? My sense of my my house, my husband, I'm sure he's a good one, <laughs> my children, my wife, my country, my, my state, I'm Californian, I'm, well, for me it's different. <laughs> I'm not married, I'm Californian, I'm you know, Hindu, all these mys. Um, I'm an American, I'm uh, an Afro-American, I'm a man, I'm a woman. So it's okay to say I am, but to say I am this or that, that's a problem. Hmm? This or that means we are thinking of ourselves in relation to the natural world, which we've already talked about, we're independent of. We give it meaning, we give it value. How can it then define us? Hmm? But matter has come to define us. But that's a false definition because nothing is mine. You understand? Our I is based on our sense of my. Think about it. My car, my house, my family, my country, my job, and we've got you. That's who you are. All your my's. Hmm? But nothing is yours. So who is the I that derived from that? <laughs> That's a false I. Hmm? Hmm. And that I has to work. That I cannot play. Hmm? Not very much. It has to work, build up a bank account, maybe it can play for a little while, then get back to work. It has to struggle, I mean to say. When Jiva Goswami spe- when, 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 when Sutta Goswami speaks in the Bhagavad about how the self, the consciousness, the Atma, is independent of matter, and he gives us a, a, an exercise to test that, we call spiritual practice. Hmm? Stepping back from our attachments and so forth and seeing how we fare. And the theory is, you fare better if you do it wisely, under good guidance. You fare better. You stop taking and claiming things are yours and acknowledging they're not mine. You start to feel better. You start to feel about as to what you are. Yes, nothing is yours, but you're not poor. (laughs) Nothing is yours, nothing is mine, but we are not poor. Even if we owned the whole world, we would be much poorer. If our I was defined by that, than what we actually are. Hmm? You understand? So rich, 
so valuable. Again, matter would not matter were it not for us mattering about it. Hmm? We should matter about it only in such a way as that it serves to propel us in the direction of pursuing our existence as entities that are independent of matter that then have some scope possibly with good association to play rather than to work. After Jiva Goswami, Sudha Goswami says, are there no torn clothes on the side of the road? You know, do you really have to spend so much money on that particular faucet? There's rivers with water. You know, he's saying there's fruits falling from the trees. Uh, it's, it's only you're only feeding a body, so that sheltering it, so that enough that that you can pursue your independence of the whole affair. Hmm? And it's extraordinary to which we can find saintly persons that really, for all intents and purposes are not dependent on the natural world. Hmm? Living a life in ways we think, oh God, I couldn't do that. I could visit there, but I could never do that. That's frightening. Hmm? I could give, have to give up all those things. And, or, so, and it can be extreme, of course. In, in yoga sadhana, of course, people, they like to do solitary, living in caves and things like this. Uh, it's, uh, there's some objectivity, I want to say, here, with which we make the argument that consciousness is independent of matter and spiritual practice is the experiment by which we bring forth the data that is is considerable and on the basis of which we can make a reasonable conjecture. Yes, there is a self that's independent of matter. Hmm? But when Sudha Goswami is explaining this, he, then he, he also explains the nature of the world and the ego or the I, I am this or that, Hmm? How problematic it is. And he, he concludes it with Jivo Jiva Sijivanam. It's a very Darwinian phrase. One living being is food for another. Uh, uh, what does Darwin say? Something like that? He says, uh, with a struggle for existence, something natural selection. Uh, yeah. One living being is food for another. Jivo Jiva Sijivanam. We're all hunting. Look forward. Look behind you. We're all being hunted. Hmm? A, and, and the hunting that we are doing is what's causing us to be hunted. We are in a vicious cycle. We hunt, and so we're hunted. We take, in other words, from the natural world to, pursue, to preserve a sense of identity derived from it hmm? that's false. And so it's futile. Hmm? No wonder we're not satisfied. No wonder we, we always come up with an empty bag. Good packaging, perhaps. That's America's contribution to the world. But, but the, the contents, <laughs> not satisfying. Material life is something like a per- perpetual carrot of prospect. Just acquire one more thing, a couple more things, then you'll be there. But the meal is a, is a perennial appetizer which only gives indigestion in the long run there's no square full meal of satisfaction it come, can come from acquisition a life of acquiring things in, in, in the pursuit of being the more that I sense I am human life we sense there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind we have, this is intuitive in all human beings that's why we look for meaning and value we are that meaning 
we are that value, a unit of it, being consciousness rather than matter. But we look for it in matter. That's why birds fly high in the sky and some fishes swim deep in the ocean. Fish don't think of flying in the sky and birds don't think of swimming in the bottom of the ocean that I know of. But we, as humans, we think of flying in the sky. We want to go to the bottom of the ocean. We want to do everything that we see every other species doing. That seems unnatural. Why don't we just do what we're suited for? We are. We're suited in human dress for pursuing the more that we are that transcends the limitations on consciousness, the shaping of consciousness that other forms of life constitute. In other words, consciousness is shaped in a bird's body in such a way that it can fly and do some other things to find ways to eat, sleep, mate, and defend. It can't ask why yet. When it comes to the human life, to pursue more than what meets the eye, as they say, this is what we're supposed to do. But how to do that in such a way that we'll arrive at the more and know that it's us. We are the more. It's consciousness that's coming to the fore. It's so much more than matter. Again, matter doesn't matter without it. And we are constituted of that. But due to our identification with matter, hmm, some confusion is there. And so forth. We're, we're working rather than playing. Hmm? So we're not in Leela. <laughs> we're divine, but, but we're, not in, we're not playing. Hmm? So how do you get in the game? <laughs> how, do you, how do you get on the team here <laughs> and play? This is the idea. Hmm? This is what spiritual life is about. This is what spiritual culture is for. This, uh, practice for this. Um, it's a cultivation we call Krishnanushilanam. Hmm? It's an ongoing culture. Krishnanushilanam means we have to factor into our life, we have to be fortunate enough, I should say, to have something factored into our life that is also divine and more divine than us and that always plays and never works. Hmm? Has nothing to do. Has nothing to accomplish. Hmm? If you have nothing to do, then you play. And, 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 and that is our, we want to say, our source, our consciousness source. That we're divine, okay, we thought about that, but obviously there's a problem here because we're divine, but there's another side to us here. Recently we observed the appearance day of the avatar of Krishna, called Manasingha. It's a very beautiful leela. Hmm? And there's two principal players, Prahlad, the boy, and Nisringa, the man-lion, Albatar, half-man, half-lion. Hmm? And there's a third person, Prahlad's father, Hiranyakasipu. This is a beautiful story that, in brief, speaks to us about the human potential and how it's so valuable that it should be used even in youthfulness, for pursuing the more that we are, but there's a huge problem that comes with this human life that gives us the impetus to pursue ourselves as we, as we come out, so to speak, as consciousness rises to the surface. The problem is we have this human body and it, it's, it's part of our animality, it's part of the natural world. So it's a, it's a vehicle for pursuing the more that we are as consciousness, but it also at the same time gets in the way sometimes. 
by place, imposing demands upon us and so forth. So Hiranyakasipu represents you know, how problematic the human body can be, how degraded and how unkind and cruel one can become by giving in to one's humanity in terms of its being part of the natural world hmm? and the, in the draw for sense indulgence. He was prepared to kill his child. Imagine that would make CNN. Hmm? Kills child. Hmm? Tortures the child. Hmm? Very unbecoming. Atmendriya priti vancha. Balitaranam kam. Krishnendriya priti icha. Dhare premnam. These are two things that are very different. The spiritual culture is about, in the context of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, pleasing the senses of Krishna. In material life, Atmendriya priti, love of the senses. Bhagavad says it so nicely. Kama sinindriya priti yavoli jibeta yavata. Jivasya tattva jignasu nato yasteha karma bhi. You read this once thoughtfully, your life will change forever. Kama sinindriya priti. He says, human life, kamasya, indriya, priti, indriya, priti, the desire, kam, to love the senses and their objects and live a life like this. Hmm? He says, human life should never be lived for love of the senses. What a loss. You did that in so many other species of life. That's, all the, that's the only opportunity you had before you. Now you have human life to live it just for rehashing the experiences that you've already had in so many other species of life. Hmm? You had them individually. You could fly in the sky in a bird. You could go to the bottom of the ocean. Now, don't think that just by combining them, it's going to get better. <laughs> I'll do them all at once. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Not like that. Kamasya priti yavata jignasu Human life should be lived because only because it gives you the chance to inquire about the more that you are beyond your animality, beyond the limits of your humanity, that you could experience that more. It should be lived for that purpose. It should be purpose-driven in this sense. So this is, this is what it facilitates. But, but our biology, our psychology, so part of the natural world, gross and subtle, they, get, they facilitate, but they get in the way. So we're in a quandary. Therefore, we need help to realize our divinity. Hmm? We're in this, like, taken on both sides. Consciousness is coming out. It feels I'm the more, but the biological self is, the false self is drawing on us with demands. Hmm? So inter- we need intervention, divine intervention. This is that revelation. Hmm? That, that we are a spark, the fire has to come into our life, the source. Hmm? This is what we mean by Krishna. Hmm? And he's playful. Deva, playful. He has no purpose. Hmm? Because he moves only according to love. And love has no purpose. Life has no meaning in that sense. Because love ha- transcends meaning. Reason. Hmm? Love knows no reason. It's a no, no reason reason. <laughs> Uh, something like that. Hmm? So God has nothing to do. That sounds boring. God has nothing to do. Poor guy. Something like that. So what do we mean? 
We are meant to play. We are divine, but we're working. Hmm? We're saying to get out of the situation, we need divine intervention. We need a, more, a bigger capitalist, so to speak, to increase our capital, our, our, our divinity. Hmm? We need a connection with our, with our source. So by inviting the source into our life, or even uninvited, that may come into our life. But bhakti is, tends to be a little outgoing. Hmm? So what is that? That is a form of the play. The Godhead coming into our life in bhakti, Krishna coming into our life in bhakti, is a, is a particular expression of the play of Bhagavan. Hmm? Krishna. A particular expression. Hmm? That, if I properly understood, gives the ultimate understanding as to the meaning of this particular realm, hmm? this mixture of matter and consciousness. What is its meaning? It is a place where God can, if God is all love, all loving, then God has to experience all kinds of love. Compassion is a kind of love. It's very high on the ladder here in this world, right? Compassion is like the highest love. But it's low on the level, on the ladder of God's experience of love. It's the low end. In the Paravyom, in the realm of Leela, where Krishna is only playing, God is only... Well, we should ask, wait, first, why is he playing? What do you mean he's playing? What is this divine play? It's something like this. We don't only say that God is all-loving. We, we think like that. We hope like there's an all-loving God. We, we conjecture like that. But the same God would be all-knowing. He would have to be all-knowing to be all-loving because loving is the end of, of knowing, really. Hmm? That knowing which makes one satisfied fills one's heart. Hmm? Hmm? That is a loving knowing. When you love, you know what to do. And you know what you don't need to know. There's so many things you could know. Hmm? When you love, you know what to do. This is samadhi. You know what to do. Hmm? There's no question, what will I do next? You know what to do. Hmm? God is all-knowing. Is that to be all and end all? Actually, actually it's not. Hmm? All-knowing is a problem. Omniscience is a problem. What is the problem with all-knowing? You think about it yourself. If you knew everything, you got it. It's boring. What, what do you do when you're bored? Then You have to play. <laughs> you need some diversion. You need to play. So Bhagwan, if you, if you understand that Bhagwan, Godhead, is all-knowing, then there must be some manifestation of the Godhead that's dealing with that problem. That's what we call Krishna. And only playing. And he plays hard. Hmm. He plays so hard that he doesn't know everything. In other words, let's say if you enter a play, a drama, hmm, if you could get so absorbed in the drama, right, that you actually thought you were the person you were playing, you would, then you would get the Academy Award for sure. Right? Best actress. It would be the best actress. Hmm? The, there must be some unknowing in order for God to play. Hmm? Indeed, it's the cause of his playing, in one sense. And the unknowing is a more comprehensive knowing than the omniscience. Because in that knowing, he's satisfied. 
He's most pleased. Hmm? In the all-knowing position, well, there's some, there's some boredom. <laughs> in that, in Krishna, lover of Radha, Jashodanandan, hmm? Nandanandana. This is Krishna. Okay. This is this is the the full manifestation of Godhead. In the unknowing, I'm saying there is more knowing than in the all-knowing. So he's playing. If this play should come into our life, he's in the parabhyom. Hmm? He has a he has a manifestation of himself with forearms as Narayan, who accepts reverential love. Krishna accepts intimate love. Hmm? He wants to really play. Narayan kind of plays. Hmm? But he's more, more all-knowing, less playing. Hmm? The more the knowing is present, less playing. And less bliss because everyone knows ignorance is bliss. Hmm? Divine ignorance is the, is the end of ananda, the, is, the, is the full scope of ananda. Hmm? Hmm? Bhagwan Narayan, this form of Krishna, he has more knowing, so he cannot play as, as readily. That means he cannot be as intimate with his associates. With my, if I'm going to play with people, I've got to know them. They've got to know me. Because when you play, that's who you really are. Admit it. Hmm? <laughs> and you don't want everybody to see that, unfortunately. Hmm? You don't want everyone to see that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So when God plays, you see, that is Krishna. That means he's really himself. That's who he really is. And not everybody can see that. Not everybody can be allowed into that realm. That wouldn't be possible. Otherwise the play would be interrupted. Oh, that guy's here. I can't. I can't. I have to be different and give blessings now. And Some yogi is here. Oh, take a blessing. Get eternity. Yes, yes, yes. Can I be? No. If he's going to be himself, who will he be with? What kind of lovers? What kind of sadhakas? What kind of spiritual practitioners? Hmm? What would be the pitch, the measure of their devotion? They get admittance into that circle. Hmm? And it is an admittance into that circle that Chaitanya Dev is giving to everybody. This is mind-boggling. Everywhere, through this Nam Sankirtan, this chanting. Hmm? Giving it out everywhere. Hmm? That's the other side, you see. Playing very hard, deeply in Leela. Hmm? The deeper Krishna goes within, the more it comes out unknowingly hmm? and is made available. That's why we find the deeper you go into Krishna Leela, what do you find? You find Gaur Leela. The genesis of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is at the, it's at the deepest point of Krishna's play. Hmm? In 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 his, he playing with the gopis, and then he looks and he thinks, what kind of love do they have? Oh my God, he says. He says, Oh my God, Om Narayana. And he has existential crisis. Who am I? I thought I was the king of love, but their love, I said. Whoever approaches me in love, I will reciprocate accordingly. I cannot reciprocate in, 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 in kind to the measure of their love. Hmm? What to do? Hmm? I have to taste that love. That's why we say Gaur Leela and Krishna Leela. Gaur Leela is Krishna Leela. You have to understand that. Gaur Leela is Krishna Leela. 
It's it's an encore appearance of Krishna Lila. It's an extension, a natural extension, the natural extension of Krishna Lila. There has to be a Gora Lila. If you understand Krishna Lila, you understand there must be Chaitanya. There has to be. You can cite verses and say, and this prana says there's Chaitanya. I mean, that's all just academic. If you understand Lila, Krishna Lila, you understand there must be Gora Lila. Understand the nature of Krishna. His experience of the love of Radha, it exceeds his own experience of Arasa. He has to taste that. He has to make some arrangement, something. And only Krishna experiences Madhurya, Lila Madhurya, Prema Madhurya. These are not qualities of Narayan. Prema Madhurya, Lila Madhurya, Venu Madhurya, Rupa Madhurya. With regard to Prema Madhurya, He's surrounded by devotees with a certain kind of love. They define him. Hmm? Their love corresponds with the object of love that he is. Hmm? He is surrounded by Prema Madhurya. So he, it's Krishna who wants to taste this Prema Madhurya. Not Narayan. He doesn't have any experience of that. He would know, not any other avatar would have any interest in This is the quality of Krishna. To explore the, that, what that is. Hmm? Yeah. Only Krishna will want to do that. Therefore, Chaitanya is Krishna. Hmm? This is real spiritual logic. Hmm? Hmm. Uh, too high for some here, too low for others. So we're going you know, throughout the whole spectrum. Hmm? But this God, Krishna, Radha Krishna, hmm? Radha Krishna Pranay Vikuti Ladini Shakti Rasmad Ekat Manova Pibu Vipura Deham Vedogoto Chaitanya Kyam Prakatam Adana Tadway Dwayam Chaikyam Aptam Radha Bhava Duty Suvalitam Nomi Krishna Surupam. This is a, like a philosophical stepping stone hmm? given by Surup Damodar that we can step into examining the most extraordinary theological questions ever asked in the world. Hmm? The questions of Krishna. What is the nature of Radha's love? Hmm? What is the sweetness in me that she tastes? Hmm? What is the glory of her love? These are the highest theological questions. God's asking them hmm? about devotion to him and its nature that defines him in a sense. That he corresponds with Hmm? It's very extraordinary. Hmm? And Surabhadamara gives us a little bit of a, a chintya beta, beta philosophical stone to, to step on to get some ground before we ascend to the height of asking and those, those, exploring those questions that Krishna is exploring. Hmm? And in there he says, anyway, relative to our discussion, Radha and Krishna, Krishna is one, eternally is two. Pranai. Hmm? Vikriti pranai, a transformation of, Radha is the transformation of Krishna's love. The one becomes two and the two become one as Chaitanya and we know about this. And what, what was his method of making us know? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. One of my students, a new student asked, he was accustomed to chanting Krishna, Krishna. With every outgoing breath, he would say Krishna. With every ingoing breath, he would say Krishna. Whenever he found that he was thinking thoughts that were not productive, then he would just Krishna, 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 
recently he, he, he's come to, uh, to to study with me, and so he told me that. And he said, "Can is it well? Why shall I chant Hare Krishna, and so on, <laughs> instead of just Krishna?" And I'm talking about that now, <laughs> to some extent. It's a huge topic. What you're going to get from Hare Krishna? That is a very big thing. <laughs> what you're going to get from Krishna? That's big, but from Hare Krishna, that is very big. Hmm? Hare Krishna, Hare Ram. Hmm? Mahababu brought this Mahamantra. Hmm? There's a Nam mantra, but Mahamantra, and and this is the ingress then of divinity into our lives. And this is uh, what his, his his play, if you will, coming into our life. Hmm? I said Krishna's playing <clears throat> in a private arena with intimate persons. Hmm? So to make that available to the general public, that is a very unheard of thing. Narayan, that four-armed form of Krishna, he's in Vaikuntha, in the reverential realm of love, and he sometimes says to himself, gosh, I would like to experience compassion. He says, I would like to give salokya, sarupya, shasti, samipya to somebody. He's surrounded by devotees endowed with this type of mukti. Hmm? Uh, it's very extraordinary. It's all part of what constitutes reverential love of God. He sees the, all these, these, these his, his attendants, servants, and so forth. He says, I would like to give this to somebody. I would like to give Salokya, Sarupya, Sharsti. But everyone's got it. Who will I give it to? So just as the thought comes in eternity, it's not something in time, but we're limited by language. The thought comes, the feeling comes. I want to feel compassion. There's a world manifest, such as Sankalpa. Whatever he wants, it happens. Hmm? When the Godhead wants to feel, I'd like to feel wise, Buddha appears. That's hmm? how it works. We wish it was like that, right? If you imagine if you could just have an emotion and think, I'd like to be that emotion. And there you were. This is what these different avatars are. They're different. I would like, I want to feel friendliness and Ram. Balram manifest. They like that. Of course, these aren't, like I say, moments in time. Hmm? But these are the manifestations of, of different emotions of the God. Like a waves on an ocean of ecstasy. Hmm? The waves provide some variety in the ocean. There are high ones and low ones, and there comes the low tide and high tide, union and separation. Hmm? Leela's moving like this. Hmm? In Narayan's Leela, where there's some playing, but he can't get too close because people are all reverential and so forth. Hmm? There he feels, I want to be compassionate. And so there's a world. Hmm? We're in that world. We need compassion. Hmm? We have this prospect that human life affords us for pursuing not only ourselves, but all that we could be in connection with Krishna. Bhakti is, is a blessing. Hmm? We, to play, you have to have a bhava deha, not a flesh and bones, atoms and molecules body, but a spiritual body, a bhava deha. Krishna will give that. Hmm? And he says, now, now you come and play with me. Here, with your bhava deha. It will come from Harinam. Hmm? And good, good association. Hmm? So this lila, I'm saying to you, when it comes into the world, 
it gives the ultimate meaning for the world. It is a place for Bhagwan to experience compassion, that kind of love. And we are the recipients of that. We are born to taste the compassion of Bhagwan, of God. And that's pretty nice. And all the implications of that. Because compassion gets us in helps us to move away from the animality that's our problem hmm? that we're struggling with in the pursuit of the more, we're struggling with the lower side and so forth. The help comes, hmm? that compassion. And it comes in form like through sadhu sangha, hmm? through guru, through sacred texts, gatherings like this, with simple heart, good people come, we chant, hmm? talk about these things. Hmm? Try to feel them. Hmm? and carry them with us as we go. If you hear something today that, is, that you know is true, then you take that, keep that, make that, put that in your heart. That's a foundation stone there to build a house of bhakti, a house of love, where God will make, Krishna will appear. Hmm? Any one thing, I might stand it like this. If I ever go to a lecture, and I think if I could hear just one thing, one point, I know, yes, oh, that's good. Why not take that? It's how you build a spiritual life through sadhu sangha. This is not for entertainment here. Hmm? It may be a little intellectually stimulating. I try to speak in a logical way, but I have some feeling for these things. I want I wanted you to... I have some compassion. Hmm? You listen, and something you accept, something you might not. If I can capture your intellect, then... Put it aside. <laughs> then we can go into the heart, do surgery, and put something there. It will stay with you. You may wander from, but it's there. It tell you this way by good sadhusanga, you become anchored in the pursuit of your real interest. Is the idea of the all the principle of guru that you find in sadhusanga, someone who can help you. You feel. It's not like a law you have to do, but you feel, I must. My prospect lies here. I can see. I can be helped. Hmm? Let me hold on here. Hmm? Then we get some anchor. We should think in our life, let me, if, if what I'm doing has, is of any consequence to someone of spiritual standing, hmm? how we should evaluate our movements in the world. Hmm? They will call us in the right direction. Hmm? So this play of God, it actually comes to us in this way through Sadhu Sangha and through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent and so forth in the form of compassion and that compassion helps us then to leave the world of animality behind, put it in check use it for our own higher purpose and so forth and gradually we move then in the direction of being qualified to enter into the play of Krishna, into that realm where the Godhead is 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 beyond omniscience. Hmm? How close you can get to him. He's forgotten that he's God. Hmm? And you don't think he is either. Hmm? We have to learn that Krishna is God and then we have to you know, learn that he's not. Or learn, learn, go beyond that. It's very complicated. I told you in the beginning, this is very confusing. Hmm? So, this is some idea about uh, Leela. It is... It is ultimately the free movement. Our movement now is karmic, so it's largely obligatory. In other words, 
We've sown, now we're reaping the results. We've hunted, now we're being hunted. Hmm? This is a big problem. Now, we've like maxed out our credit cards. Here We're only living to pay the debts. We've got no free time. Hmm? We need, a, we need a, the court to intervene. We've got to say, I want the 